As a founder, you likely go out to raise money a handful of times during your journey. Investors, on the other hand, live and breathe pitches and term sheets every day. Leveraging your position in the face of asymmetry is not an easy task, but it can be done. Tommy Roggio has over a decade of experience in consulting and investing. He joined Latitude as a founding member, launched our rolling fund, and as head of ventures, leads the team that invested in over 80 companies in less than a year and a half. Today, we share with all of you a bit about what we constantly share with Latitude Fellows and portfolio companies, about the science behind fueling your company. Our community started calling this the Latitude Fundraising Playbook. You can learn the tactics to structure your process and increase your odds of being successful. Stick around to uncover how the current economy affects fundraising and your valuation, the main paths you can take, and how to plan ahead, how to prepare and approach investors, and the clear do's and don'ts of speaking to VCs. My name is Brian Reckworth, and this is Latitude Podcast. Vamos Latam. Tommy, how are you doing? Great to have you on the Latitude Podcast. Thank you, Brian. It's good to be here in this special edition of, uh, of the Altitude Podcast. Yeah, you've done a bunch of uh, podcast episodes with me before, but this one I'm getting to chat with you directly. And uh, we talk a lot about fundraising at Latitude, and it's a popular topic for discussion through our fellowships. And you lead a few different sessions on the topic help founders really navigate this this process. And I think process is an important word because fundraising, a lot of founders go out and just kind of fundraise aimlessly. And the ones that are prepared and have a plan, they typically generate and yield better results. So let's talk a little bit about that today. Does that sound like a good plan? Yeah, sounds like a plan. The idea today is basically kind of share more broadly some guidelines, you know, some ideas that uh, we usually share with the Latitude Fellows that, that, you know, just that go through the Latitude Fellowship cohorts. In terms of tactics, basically strategies and tactics that we see that might improve your odds in fundraising. Every company is different. Every fundraising process is different, but we do believe there are some elements that founders could incorporate in order to improve their odds. So that's the idea today. This is, of course, not a perfect recipe. No recipe guarantees your results. But again, we heard about people referring to this as a as the Latitude playbook. We not, we're not sure if it's a playbook already, but definitely our empirical kind of uh, experience let us see many, many, many tactics that, that work when fundraising. And does the current economic environment, given that it's a little bit more challenging these days, does that affect this, this kind of this strategy or playbook in any way? That's a really good question and still early to really know, right, in terms of having a better data. But of course, uh, after 2021, I would say 2020, 2021, that was, if you want, a seller's market, a founder's market, right, where suddenly we saw way more capital coming into Latin America from foreign investors and from local investors raising higher, uh, yeah, larger funds. Back then, we saw a, a landscape where founders had more optionality. They had more power. You know, they had better chances to pick between investors and to negotiate terms, among other things, right? Of course, in the current downturn, that is changing, right? And as you know, Brian, at Latitude, we especially see early stage rounds, right? Pre-seed, seed rounds. And then, of course, we see many of our fellows going out to raise Series A's and Series B's as our, as our ecosystem matures. But what we're seeing in, in early stage is that there's still quite a lot of activity. Of course, valuations are coming down. Hard to put an exact number to that. But I would, what I would say is, yes, it, it will affect dynamics, definitely, not right? The, the new market will be more of a, a buyer's market, if you want. It will be a market where VCs will have a bit more, and, and angels, I would say investors, will have a bit more leverage in negotiating, you know, uh, with founders. 
but without very, getting very deep into, into that and what that means, because we, we could spend a whole episode on the market conditions right now, what we would say is we think that many of the elements we will discuss today still apply, right? Many of these strategies and tactics should still be relevant in this downturn, in this more complex market. Of course, it will be a bit harder to generate a competitive process with funds because there may, may probably be less funds investing or, or funds will be investing at a slower pace. But yeah, we still think these tactics should increase your chances at, at raising a, a good round. That's great. Well, let's get into it. So let's talk about some of these uh, paths that founders evaluate in these early days of fundraising. Uh, talk about the different paths that are out there and what are the pros and cons to each path. Totally. So this is literally fundraising 101, right? And this hopefully will be useful to many founders starting, not maybe for founders that already go, went through this, right? But what we see in Latin America and also globally, but especially in LATAM, is two main paths, right? One of them, let's call it path A for a second, is founders that maybe raise some friends and family money or bootstrap in the beginning. But what they basically choose to do is to do an angel round first, right? So the path A basically involves raising an angel round. These angel rounds are basically, on average, in Latin, it changes between Brazil and other countries, but we could say between 300 and 500K on average, right, as a, as a range in terms of round size, right? And it's usually around, as we said, uh, composed mostly of angels, maybe some angel networks, maybe some very small micro funds or pre-seed funds, but it's usually not an institutional round, right? And it's almost always, I would say always, a safe round, right? That is a, a round that is not priced, doesn't have price equity, but it's composed by, by safe nodes, right? The second element in this path A is after raising the angel round and executing on, on that initial vision, probably focusing on, on building an, an early product, an MVP, these teams usually go out and raise what we call a large seed. It could be 18 months, probably in this current market, it will be maybe 24 months after the, the angel round. It really depends. But the following step would be raising a large seed, right? A large seed, it changes again per markets, uh, but in Latam, we would call a large seed anything about kind of 2 million, right? Last year, those rounds were even bigger, you know, 3, 5, even closer to 10 million uh, in, in terms of round size, right? So this is the path A. What's the other typical path? The other typical path is, let's call it path B, is starting from, uh, again, maybe bootstrapped in the very, very early days or so, friends of family money, but then going out to raise what we call an early seed or a small seed, right? So no angel around there. The founders in path A usually go out and raise what is usually one to 1.5 million early seed round, right? So they're kind of skipping the angel round and going straight ahead to raise from institutional investors, that, are, that is VCs right away, right? So these are kind of the two typical paths that we see. There's a third one, of course, where we see, where you see maybe a second time founder, very, very successful founders or, or very experienced founders going straight ahead for a for a large seed, right? So going out to raise a three plus seed out of the out of the gates. But if we look at the two main paths, path A and path B, you know, so again, path A having an angel round first of maybe let's call it a 400k angel round and then a, a large seed of two million plus, that's path A. And then then a path B where you go the founders go straight ahead and raise a one point two early seed. These two uh, routes are kind of different, right? And and they involved they involve different kind of uh, scenarios from angels. And you basically focus on like building a very early, your product, an MVP, testing, experimenting, validating some very early hypotheses. But definitely you will take longer to scale those efforts, right? That, because then also you need to uh, raise the second round. And that will probably imply more work 
and possibly more dilution, right? The second path B, as we said, is going straight ahead and raising a 1, 1.2, 1.5 round from VCs, right? What that means is, yeah, you, you kind of get more capital on your balance sheets quicker, on your balance sheet quicker, and you maybe be able to raise to higher quicker and kind of focus on more velocity to market, right? The risk, of course, here is going out to raise that round out of the gates, a 1.5 round, and not getting interest from the market, right? Not getting traction or, or demand from investors, right? And, and, and risking uh, having to kind of go back and say, what, I'm not raising a 1.5 with a PowerPoint in the end, I'm going back and raising a smaller round from angels, right? So it depends on many, many elements. One element is, of course, the, the kind of the, the business, right? Some infrastructure businesses, like if I think of, of Latvian companies like, like Pomelo, they needed a bit more money early on to, to build their MVP. They couldn't really have a very basic MVP for what they were doing, right? And another very important element is like the founder profiles. Like some founders are kind of risk return uh, profile, right? Some founders are fine just taking a bit more risk and going out to the market, MVP, test it out, learn, validate some hypotheses before going out to raise a larger round from, from funds. So those are basically two main paths that we see in LATAM right now. Yeah, Tommy, definitely those are two different paths. And I think that there's no right path. There's pros and cons to each path. We can talk a little bit more about having angels in your, your cap table. Sometimes people will have angels in their cap table after they have a lead investor. Sometimes they'll have it before. But I am a big fan of having those operator angels be involved because you know you can lean on them for advice and their network. They've seen a lot of things and they can be really great support for your business and what you're building. No, totally. Let's get into it. And, and Brian, to your point about angels, we'll, we'll, we'll address that in a minute. But that's definitely part of, a, of this playbook. You know, We think angels are are crucial and are a great help for, for early stage founders, right? So yeah, about valuations, very without getting extremely deep into this, many founders, first and founders especially, just ask us, okay, how should I evaluate my company? You know, like these companies, many times they don't have a product. They, of course, they don't have revenues. You cannot really discount cash flows, you know? So what we usually say is the market will value your startup within a certain range, right? And it really is linked to what you're going out to ask for the market, right? To, to this pre-seed, like if you're doing an angel round, if you're doing an early seed round, if you're doing a, a, a larger round. And of course, it has a lot to do with, with the founder profiles, you know, if they're first-time founder or exited founders. But we think a very important point here, and, and I think this is where we see many founders making a mistake, is we would, and especially in this market, we would definitely encourage all of you to be to be more conservative. We, we would encourage all of you to build from less to more, right? What does it mean? We've seen many founders going out to the market and, and raising a, let's call it a 3 million round with a 15% dilution target. And that's a high valuation, right, for a PowerPoint stage company. Look at your capital needs for the next 24 months at least. Of course, you can put a buffer uh, in, or, in order to, to have a safety net there. But we usually recommend to founders to go out and, and, and raise that size of round, right, for your ask to be your baseline capital needs for the next two years, right? What we usually say is start with your baseline capital needs as an ask. Say that's a two million in your seed run, right? Go out to the market. If you run a, a tight competitive process, and we'll get into how to do it in a minute, hopefully we'll be able to build momentum. That is starting commitments for a, that two million allocation of your equity, of the equity in your company. When you have three million on the table, you should probably be to interested investors and tell them, we have all this interest on the table. We think it's better for us to raise a bit of a higher round that will give us more runway and that will be better for the company. So we'll raise a slightly larger round and hopefully drop valuation up 
that target solution that you were aiming for. And please feel free to complement of experience in this too. Yeah, I think there's a great thread about this from Elizabeth Yen from Hustle Fund. And she actually refers to the tranche strategy. And the tranche strategy, if you, if you think about it, fundraising, as you said, is all about supply and demand, right? And so it's hard to control the demand from investors. You want to get in front of as many investors as possible. You want to build all that interest and line everybody up at the same time so that you have all this demand and all this interest. And the only thing you can control is constrain, constrain that supply. So if you, you said, if you defined how much equity you're willing to sell and kind of how much capital you need, that's something that you can actually reduce. And so kind of her advice, one of the things that she does is that, you know, if you are trying to raise a $2 million seed round, go out to the market and test with maybe a limited supply at even a, a slightly lower valuation. So if you're, if you're planning on raising at, let's just say your goal is to raise two at a 10 uh, post money, and that would be like, you know, the, a great scenario for you, try to raise 500 or 300 at a six. And if you, you know, if you go out and you on a safe and you can't fill 300 at a six, you're definitely not going to be able to fill 2 million at a 10. So this is a way to kind of generate momentum. And, and then once you build more demand for the stock that you have, you can start walking up the valuation as demand increases. Totally, Brian. But I think what you're referring to in a way is with this trench, Elizabeth Yin from Hustle Fund refers to that is, again, in a safe round, which could be an, the angel round or even one of those early seed rounds. So in a safe round, not in a price equity round, at least, you can stack up safe incremental valuations within that round. A pre-seed round, let's call it an angel round, is not a finance where you're selling a pre-seed shares you know, at certain price, right? You can call, you can see the, the angel round and then a, let's call it a, a seed round, a seed round on a safe. You can see, you could see it on a continuum, right? Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that word correctly, but in a way it's a, it's a success of safes at a high incremental valuation. So of course the risk here is constantly fundraising, right? Uh, that's why it makes sense for many founders to say, okay, I'm raising 500k right now from angels from an early product. And then with a bit more traction, I'll go out and raise Two million more, maybe on a higher elevation. So yeah, definitely one part of the playbook. Do you think there's any concerns to like stacking up safes at different valuations? I've seen companies that have had they've never actually fundraised and they never close the price round and they just have safes on safes on safes. What are your thoughts about that? And what are your your thoughts about driving the price too high? I mean, I think right now we're seeing some of that come back to bite people in the butt, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you got it. And I would love to hear your thoughts here. You've seen a couple of, of downturns already in Latin America. I think that, of course, like a, a company that never is never able to raise a, a, an equity round, maybe they couldn't have been able to do it in the first place two years ago, right? With less traction, right? But I think one of the risks here is stacking up saves at too high valuations, right? So, at, so bringing in a small angel for 50K at a 25 million post and then kind of setting the bar so high for your next round that VCs won't be won't be interested in, in that round of evaluation. Of course, you can you can eventually figure that out, right? But it will be painful. So of course you need to be careful there. Again, we think if you're stacking up saves, you kind of you need to be careful. You need to be talking with talking with the market, testing the waters, understanding what's the interest from micro funds and then early stage funds. And I think also to add to that, you really need to understand the difference between a post money and a pre money safe. Founders don't do the calculations on this, the math. If you've got a post-money safe, 
all the capital that you're adding on to it, you're facing further dilution. And the, the calculation of that dilution is pretty significant. And I think founders don't model that out. For every dollar you take on on top of that, you're in a position where you're, you're basically just diluting yourself more. And then I think when it comes time for a price round, founders thought they sold 10, 20% of their company, and it ends up being 30, 40, in some cases worse if they're not able to, to get a really good price round. So I, I would caution against that. But at the same time, you want to minimize dilution. And you want to, the game is to get as much capital as you can and give away the least amount of your company, right? That is ultimately the game. You'll have more runway and then you can execute and you can preserve value. So let's move on to, you know, the actual Latitude Fundraising Playbook. And, you know, you'd mentioned angels, you know, you'd mentioned these kind of different strategies. Let's, let's, you know, let's talk about what that game plan should look like. So it's very simple, but it does have a few components, right? One is thing around angels, right? And let's say this playbook works maybe not for, for, for seed rounds, right? Uh, not for a series A, probably, and maybe not for, specifically for an angel round. But I think that when you're going out to raise a seed, we definitely encourage you to bring angels on board first before going out from VCs. Why is that? Um, there's a couple of reasons. In first place, angels are usually willing to take more risk earlier and commit very quickly, right? That's one element, right? They're just more, that's risk averse, right? That's their game, right? Angels usually come in, of course, you can have an angel coming in a Series B. You've done it, Brian, in some good companies, but angels like to jump on board very early, help the team, hopefully, get in at a, at a low valuation, taking a lot of risk. That's their game because they usually have way smaller t- tickets than, than a VC, right? Um, so again, we usually say like, Use an, uh, an analogy here, which is, let's say you're starting a company's card, right? You're climbing the, the Aconcagua, right, in Argentina and in the, in the Andes. And who would you kind of try to convince to clean the Aconcagua with, with you right? first? I would definitely try to go so craziest friend with my risk-taking friend, right? I would try to convince him first and then use him to convince the other, the second craziest guy. And then in that way, kind of convince my of 20 friends, so that's the way we look at this. You need to bring the crazy ones. You need to bring the bold ones first, and they will be your, your ambassadors, hopefully. They will be your distribution, right? So that's the other element. Good angels, and we can talk about what a good angel is here, hopefully will, A, be a crucial signal towards VCs. And there's different angel types, of course. You can have tech angels, angels coming from the tech ecosystem. Ideally, if they understand your vertical and or your business model, that's a great signal, right? Because then the big funds will say, okay, if Ryan has invested in this company, in this prop tech company, those folks, these folks are usually, are, are probably up to something, you know? Um, so that's that's a key element here. You're providing a signal, hopefully a good signal towards VCs, right? Their element is they will hopefully help you spread the word out, right? They will they should be distribution for you. So Say you bring, you bring in 10 really good angels in the angel round or at the beginning of your seed round, those angels will hopefully do three, five, 10 warm intros each to BC funds. And there's no doubt that the way to pitch funds is through warm introductions, right? Or previous uh, relationships. So the angels, again, uh, will be the key kind of bridge between your uh Cold start problem and the, a new pitching business, and um, and yeah, and the last element here before uh, getting your your kind of uh, take, Brian, is 
we usually say start with low-hanging fruit and build up, right? Again, going to the Concagua analogy, don't go out to pitch Marcos Galperino, Mercado Libre, and David Vélez, you know, as, or don't try to, right? I would definitely encourage you to first pitch people that know you well, hopefully interesting people, you know? And from there, it kind of build up. Maybe you bring a couple of Series A founders, let's call it, yeah, Series A founders on board. Maybe then they can help you get to that, you know, growth stage unicorn founder. And maybe that founder will eventually help you get to an even more impressive angel, you know? So um, start from from your core network and build up from there, right? Even within angels, right? Eventually you'll do it with funds too. Brian, I, I don't know what you, what, what you think about that. You've done it a lot as an angel. Let me summarize a few things. So first of all, when I was starting Viberal, uh, I was fortunate. First of all, I struck out for a couple of years and just would, fell in my face for two and a half years. Everything changed when I got the first couple angels on board who I would divide them into two categories. One Deep, deep experience as a tech operator, incredible access to stage financing. And then the other bucket was someone with deep operating experience in my sector. So those are like the, the kind of the two buckets that I focused on. And exactly as you described it, they brought on a bunch of other people. And, you know, it, it kind of the interest was expanded because there was some kind of people were putting their reputation out there. When you're when you're an angel investor, you're basically you're writing a check reputationally, right? And you're and you're you're sticking your neck out for the founder. Um, but but I think that the bottom line is that the punch that's packed in an angel check is actually better than any check out there, pound for pound, right? What I mean by that is if you get a 5k check, you know, or a 10k check from I'm just gonna throw a name out here, but you know, Clara Gold from Rappi, who was uh, ran products, you know, a big chunk of the product organization at Rappi. She has the chop. She's been there. You know, she started the Mexico operation. She she knows the early days of what it's like to to, to really grind and, and make things happen. These angels are going to add more value to you on a per dollars basis than potentially even a VC, because you know some VCs are very you know they're value add. They try to help a lot, but deep operating experience of a founder or an executive at a startup that has been in the trenches and can dig in and and go into some of the problems. And also their willingness to like, you can be even more open. Ideally, you have a great relationship with your, your investors and you can be open about your challenges and struggles. But the, the relationship is a little bit different. It's, it's more of a financial relationship with your investors. Other founders and angel investors, there's a, a deeper layer. You know, I talk to founders and I love being the first call when shit hits the fan because it doesn't freak me out. Like if anything, I, I remember my phone call to Simon Baker uh, who was one of my early angel investors, one of our competitors had bought one of uh, a company that was a data provider for our business, Viveral. And I was freaked out. I thought they were going to kill all the data. I called him in the middle of the night. I didn't realize it was the middle of the night in Australia. He picked it up at four in the morning and he literally said, can I go back to bed now? You're overstating the, the seriousness of this threat. Um, and he gave me the whole rationale on why. And so if anything, an angel could just kind of calm you down, give you direction expand the network. It's nodes and network that come with angel investors. Absolutely. And today we're kind of focusing on, on the fundraising side, right? But hopefully those angels will also add a lot of operational value to you, right? As you build out your company. And, and I would say like kind of transitioning into the next step of the playbook, with angels, you can do quite an organic, unstructured process. You can you can talk with angels and, and get these organic introductions over a, over a lapse of a couple of months, um, which is quite different to the way we would encourage founders to talk with funds. And 
And here we kind of getting into the into the next step. Let's say you brought in some very cool founders. Sorry, yeah, very cool founders, operators, angels. Maybe they're not tech angels. Maybe they come from a traditional retailing business, but they know a lot about, re about retailing and you're building something for a tech product for retailing and maybe they, they will add good value to you, right? But again, let's say you brought a, 10 really good angels, and now you're ready to go to talk with funds, right? And I think this is one of the key parts of the of the little playbook we're, we're kind of discussing today. When talking with funds, you should look at fundraising as a type of sales process, right? It's not exactly a sales process because it has some particularities to it, but treat it as such, treat it as a, as a sales funnel. And then you need to build that pipeline, you need to plan ahead, you need to do the prep, right? The worst, kind of the, one of the worst mistakes we see founders doing is just going out to talk with funds without no without planning, right? So let's say an angel says, yeah, I can introduce you to this fund. And that's a good name. And 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 you for you just to jump on a Zoom call with them without planning the process, right? Again, you need to run a process. And what, what does it mean? Um, can you, and we'll talk now about a concept that we call the calendar, calendar density, which we kind of borrowed from our good friend and mentor, Jason, Jason Yeah, in terms of, at least in terms of the naming, right? But it does, what it does mean is talking with all those funds at roughly the same time. But before that, uh, we usually get asked, but can I build a, a relationship from, with a fund beforehand, before I open up a round, before I start a process? Of course, yeah, you can. It does help, right? But here, I think there's an important distinction. There's two types of conversations with funds, right? One is, let's get to meet each other. I'll tell you what I'm doing. Yeah, you, you'll be assessing me and assessing the company probably, but you'll just tell you what we're doing and tell me you tell me about the fund. A very different kind of conversation is, I am pitching you. I have opened my round and I'm currently raising money and I want your money, right? So that, those are, are two very different kind of, of meetings with funds, right? If someone kind of offers you an intro to a fund you respect a lot and you're not ready to fundraise yet because you want to build a process and plan it ahead, you can take a go with that fund. Just tell them, I'm not fundraising yet and ask them a lot of questions too. What, you, what would you like to see in a seed stage company in... B2B fintech for you to be interested in it. What, what are the KPIs you would look at? What, what, what investments have you done in this space and this thesis, you know? So that's something we would definitely encourage you to do. But yeah, before getting into the, the whole calendar, calendar density concept, Brian, any, any comments on, on, on that last point? I think expanding on that prep work, um, calendar density uh, is, you know, something that we learned from Jason Ye that he kind of promoted that inside our, our, you know, our community. And Another quote from Abraham Lincoln that I remember him sharing was, you know, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. And that's preparation, right? That's lining up all those investors doing the pre-work. This week, I'm going to meet with an investor that has really wanted to talk with us, you know, and I'm not raising any capital right now, mm -hmm. but I still went and listened to the podcast about them and, and understand how they think. And those are that pre-work, you know, I mean, listen to the, all the episodes from the Latitude podcast. We've interviewed almost every you know, major VC, and we'll, we'll eventually interview every VC that's active in the region, get an understanding of how their thought process is. So these are, that's sharpening the ax, and that's a really important thing to do. Absolutely, yeah. And to that point, when you're ready to say, okay, now I'm opening my round, now I'm going out fundraising, and you have built that list, because it's basically working on a, if you, you can call it a CRM, you can call it whatever way you can. 30, 40, 50, maybe 100 funds that could have a potential good fit for you if you're building a LATAM, if you're building a certain sector, and understanding who are the decision makers, what's their thesis, do they invest in, pre in seed, yes or no? Do they lead, yes or no? Do they, do they do B2B fintech, yes or no? Understanding who could be the best potential warm intro to that fund, right? Hopefully, it will be many of those angels you brought in a couple of months ago or, or a year ago, you know? 
and it will definitely be a numbers game, right? We know it, Brian. Like, even for the best founders, this is a numbers game, right? Because even if you are very bullish on your company, there's a ton of ton of decision drivers for a fund probably pass on you because of a number of very valid reasons, right? So this is a numbers game, and we definitely encourage all founders to build the process and build that pipeline with dozens of funds, right? So again, when you're ready to go out and race, ready to go out and, and open your round, we would definitely encourage you to do this that we call calendar density. That again, that's the name that Jason kind of brought up, but we see this, we see it in rounds every day. And we saw hundreds of rounds of Latitude Fellows in the last two years, right? What does it mean? It basically means trying to line up all the warm intros from your angels or, or, or advisors, first or second degree, I'm exaggerating now, in one day. So basically, shooting all those emails, those angels shooting an email to all those VCs saying, hey, I would like to present you this company. Would you like to meet them? All of those emails coming out in the same day. Again, where is this is a hyperbole, right? What's the goal? The goal is to ideally have all the first meetings with all of these funds in Latin, in the US, in global funds, whatever, in a couple of weeks. Hopefully, in, let's call it two weeks, maybe 10 days. Again, and this is a, as a goal, right? It's very hard to then kind of do it perfectly, right? It's not math. We know it's, it's, it's not a science. But that should be, that should be your, your object, objective, trying to, broad, to bring in all those first conversations in a couple of weeks. Why is this important? Funds will be looking at many deals at the, first, at, at the same time. They will be assessing many deals. They will be uh, seeing yours among those months, number of deals they're, they're looking at, and they will want to keep optionality. They will want to keep learning more about you, more learning more, more, more about the business, seeing how your business keeps doing in terms of traction, seeing how your round keeps doing, seeing if your round picks up some signals, if your round gets some traction, right? And they won't have a lot of incentives to move quickly and make a decision quickly unless they know there's a high chance that if they don't move quickly, they lose, they'll lose a deal and they'll lose a round. And then the only way to generate that is for them to know that you're, for them to know, and, and in reality, for, for the reality to be that you're talking with multiple funds at the same time, right? That's basically the concept here. Try to line up the first calls in, let's call it two weeks, so you can kind of move with the process with all these funds at decently the same timing, right? In Argentina, we have these dog walkers that this is crazy. They walk 15 walk dogs at the same time and they just, you know, they just take them at basically the same pace. You know, you can see the same thing with gauchos and, and horses, you know. And the, what's the reason here, right? What's the, what's the goal? The goal is for you, for them, for the funds to, to, to know that they have a pressure to look at this deal, to make an assessment, to make a decision, to either invest or pass, but doing, do it in a couple of weeks, right? And, and the end goal here would be for, for you to hopefully get a few term sheets, in a couple of days, right? Let's call it in a, in a, in a lapse of three or five days. This is, again, this is an ideal scenario. It doesn't happen every day. Why? If you get a couple of uh, term sheets, you basically have a couple of interested parties in your round, in your company at the same time, then you'll have some leverage to negotiate, you know, to pick the best fund, not only the best economic terms, but also the, the fund that you think is the, the probably the fund or the investor that you think is the, the best um, fit for your, for your company, right? If you had only one fund kind of moving forward and, and sending you a term sheet, you'll be in this very hard situation where your pajaro mano or the mil volando, which basically means you'd rather, you know, have that, uh, make it a reality, probably rather than just assume that you may have many other uh, potential investors on the table in the future, right? So th that's that's basically the concept here. It's, it's very simple, right? And I don't know if, if you want to kind of... No, I would just say that also, like, I would encourage founders not to, like, 
lie and say they have a term sheet. I think that's the like investors are perfect are really good at sniffing out that. First of all, it's unethical for obvious reasons. But secondly, like you're you're if you get called out and you, someone calls your bluff, you're you're in a you're in a really uh, really bad spot. So that's something that is maybe tempting for some founders to do to kind of overstate their interest. Obviously, if you have some interest, you should not also share who's the other interested party. That's another big thing that I see founders doing where it's like, oh yeah, um, I already have you know interest from XYZ. Look at, I'm not saying founders or investors collude, but like investors definitely talk and you want to, if you got a term sheet from a no name investor, doesn't matter. And it's something that is you'd consider taking because it would help you finance the business and, and get you to the next stage. You can tell someone you have a term sheet. There's no, nothing wrong with that. Just don't tell them who. You want them to imagine it's Sequoia in their mind or whoever their, you know, or Andreessen or whoever their biggest competitor is. Um, that is something that allow them to think that, but definitely don't let them know who you're, who you're talking to because it's the only time when there's asymmetry of information in your advantage and you need to leverage uh, your, your position there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even before you get the term sheet, I, I would say during the process where you're talking with the funds and, and I think, again, we're talking about weeks here in the current, in the current market. So 2022, we're, we're again, uh, with the downturn in 2021, right? But I think the important thing here, as Brian was saying, like, the ecosystem is small. Funds talk with each other and that's fine. And it should be that way. They're, they're, they exchange notes. They, they get reference checks about certain founders. And they will be probably talking about Rio Round. And also, like, when you're pitching a fund, they, they will ask you, right, where are you sitting in the process? Where are, you, where are you at in the process? And you should be honest and transparent. We definitely encourage you that. And you should tell them, okay, um, I've been running this process for two weeks. We're in uh, the third meeting with five funds, one partners, partner meeting or com and committee with two funds. So they know basically what's the status here and, and if they need to move fast or not, you know? Again, we always encourage you to be, yeah, honest here because it's a small ecosystem and you don't want to, you know, um, be generating FOMO with something you don't have. You do want to be generating FOMO by driving a competitive process with with real arguments, you know? Let me, let me jump in on the calendar density thing. I mean, sometimes if you're running a really efficient process and you're effective, Something that might need to happen is you may need to slow down some investors and speed up other investors, right? So that's something that uh, happens, given that it's impossible to run a process in parallel that's where everyone is on the exact same page. You may need to, maybe you're in the, the partner meeting with another fund and you haven't got to the partner meeting with the other fund, you know, you're going to want to make sure that you can run this in parallel. I wouldn't advise in completely slowing it down with, if, if you have momentum, because you want to continue momentum. But just be cognizant of trying to get everyone to run at the same at the same speed. Absolutely, and I I I, I kind of uh, avoid thinking of the horses or the dog the dog analogy there as an Argentinian. I 100% Brian, and I we're getting to the to the end of this uh, of the of the playbook here. But what I would say is, founders some founders prefer to go and get the lead first and then fill up the the round. So they pitch leads lead investors first, tier one, tier yeah, top tier lead investors first, and then fill up the the, the round with followers. Some founders choose the opposite strategy, which is they start pitching follower funds, so funds that don't lead, and maybe funds that are not their ideal investor, and then they kind of build momentum, they kind of get their, hone their pitch, they get a pitch stronger and stronger, and they end up pitching uh, the, their dream investor and, and the lead investors kind of in a second wave. Again, this is up to, you know, it's, it's, it depends on, 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 the, on the, I would say, on the profile of each founder. We kind of, we think that the second is probably a bit more kind of... Uh, 
better for risk management. Um, but yeah, like we've seen uh, successful rounds with kind of both uh, sub strategies, if that makes sense. Another thing I would say for the founders listening, and this goes for any round, not just seed rounds, is that when you're talking with investors, remember that you want to ask a lot of questions too. And you want to basically, you know, if you've got 30 minutes for, you know, for, for a meeting with, a, with an investor, you probably are spending maybe 30% of the time talking about you and your business and then spending the other time asking a lot about their perspective because going back to the sales analogy, you understand how to tailor your, your communication based on listening and understanding. And again, you know, if you're talking to some really sophisticated investors, they see a lot of pattern, they see a lot of, a lot of different things, and it's an opportunity for you to also learn from if your only objective at every meeting you have is to get money, given that a very small percentage of your meetings actually turn into money, you're wasting 90% of your meetings because you're not learning beyond just pitching. And so that's another thing that I would, you know, that's less about a playbook and process, but more about general advice when you're in the fundraising process of how to, how to approach this. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. So, so kind of wrapping it up here, I think that as, as a quick recap, so Brian, I, th I think this, we've seen different things happening. We see, we've seen founders raising, getting, closing a lead out of the first two calls. Of course, there are some uh, outliers, but we, we do think that in most cases, following a process like this, and I will do a quick recap, recap in a second, should increase your, your chances of, of raising uh, that seat round, you know, your, your first institutional seat round, right? So again, it's very simple. We encourage you to, to start with angels first. They will be crucial signal. They will be distribution for you. They will be ambassadors for you. When you're going out to, to, to raise from funds, we encourage you to spend a lot of time sharpening your axe, planning, building that list, understanding who will do the, the, the warm interest. And then when you're ready to open up the round, run a tight process, try to talk with most of them in the least, in the, in the shorter kind of uh, window of time possible, hard to do, but aim for it. And hopefully in that way, you'll get to, uh, to better results in the end. 100%. I think it's, it's a great wrap up. And uh, this is, it's art and science all mixed into one. And the, I think the key thing, the takeaway is have a plan, execute the plan. And you know, you're going to, you're going to increase the probability. So it's definitely something we talk more about in our explore fellowship. So if there's any founders that are interested in, in learning more, you can go to apply.latitude.com and join our, our community. Uh, one of the other great things about having a community is that and, I, and actually, just recently, last episode, or just in a recent episode, shared more about how we raised our seed round. Again, that's not a playbook for everybody to follow because it's tailored to my specific uh, background and experience. But there's a tons of things that you can you, know, you can take away from that about getting angels involved, you know, building nodes and networks, um, and those are all things that following a process will help you be more successful. And that's one of the, you know one of the focuses we have at Latitude is. How do we democratize more access to information? A lot of times these things are shared in an elite community of people that won't kind of share the secret sauce. Uh, at Latitude, we want to kind of bust down those barriers and make this stuff available to any founders because we think that we can help elevate the next generation of startup founders in Latin America. And by way of that, increase economic progress and social mobility. Absolutely, Ryan. Gracias, Tommy. Until next time. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Speak soon. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Latitude Podcast with Tommy Roggio, head of ventures at Latitude. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts for more talks with great founders and investors like him. And check out Latitude.com.
To find out how to open a VC-backable company with Latitude Go or apply to our fellowship program. I'm your host, Brian Reckworth, Valmos Latam. See you next week.